Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Things are heating up in Rip City, and the Blazers just traded the AC. Alan Crabb is headed to the Brooklyn Nets. Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Tara. Today, I'm joined by features writer and editor Eric Griffith to dig into this trade and try and figure out what it all means. While his initials AC may be the reason he was called Cool Breeze, it was Crab's chill demeanor that really had him living up to the nickname. What I'll remember most about Alan Crab is his unflappability. He has the third highest three-point shooting percentage in the franchise, and you could never tell if he was on a hot streak or if he'd just gone cold by the look on his face. He shot above average from virtually all areas outside the arc, but sometimes he could kind of just disappear. But through it all, he was mellow, chill, relaxed, mild-mannered. It was basically impossible to get a rise out of Alan Crabb. Eric, what are you going to remember most about Alan Crabb's time with the Trailblazers? That's a loaded question. I was never a Cool Breeze fan, much to the chagrin of Blazers Edge feature editor Chris Chris Lucia. Um, so... Also Joe. <laughs> She's also, also a Joe. huge crab fan. You're right. I, I, the, something about this podcast loves Cool Breeze. I don't get it. Um, I'm going to remember his hair probably because he had one of the more interesting haircuts in recent Blazers history. I have a theory about Alan Crabb's hair. I remember after his first year, you know, because like I said, super cool demeanor, just never really stood out. And then suddenly his second year, he came back and he had muscles and new hair. And I honestly think that a large part of that was his effort to uh, be a more imposing presence. And I think it worked in a lot of ways uh, because I think people, you know, he had a much better year and I don't think it was due to his hair. But I do think that his like summertime makeover that turned him into like a more imposing figure, I think it did translate into his game. Well, apparently he should have gotten a makeover again in the summer of 2016. <laughs> well, let's talk about the summer of 2017, the offseason that just keeps on giving. I totally thought it was going to be safe to turn off the notifications on my phone, and I was just getting ready to do that this week <laughs> when suddenly we heard about this trade. So, Eric, can you go ahead and go over the terms of the trade as far as we know what they are and what happened? Yeah, I'm totally with you. Complete shock. It came, like, what was it, noon on a Tuesday with no rumors mm -hmm. whatsoever, and all of a sudden, Alan Crabb is gone. Wow. 
<laughs> I was at work, and when I heard about it, I was like, I like looked up from my desk, and I was like looking around for anybody that I could see within my sight who could talk about it. And I think I like let out like a little bit of a gasp, and this guy like ran over to my row, and he was like, "Are you okay?" And I'm like, "Do you want to talk about Alan Crabb?" Yeah, poor Blazer's Edge managing editor Dave Deckard is on vacation this week and is, you know, not hanging out on the Blazer's Edge Slack channel at all. And, you know, he chose the one week where something actually happened all summer. And so uh, we got to fill in and, you know, do all the fun writing for him, which I was thankful for. <laughs> so, yeah, so go ahead and talk about what the terms of the trade were. Yeah, so the trade was a straight up one for one, which is not unusual necessarily, but, you know, it's not the norm anymore in the NBA. It was Alan Crabb for Andrew Nicholson. So Andrew Nicholson, somebody that I had never even really heard of. And we immediately heard that the Trailblazers were probably going to stretch him. So my first question is, uh, I, to clarify, Alan Crabb's salary was much higher than Nicholson's salary. Now, I know that there's cases where salaries have to match. How come in this case that was not true? Yes, Alan Crabb was around, I think, $19 million, and Nicholson is around $6 million. We're talking in very rough figures. They didn't have to match because Brooklyn is below the salary cap. And so Brooklyn can take back more money in a trade than they send out. The Blazers have to match salaries, um, but they can take back less than they send out, obviously. The benefit here is since the Blazers took back less than they sent out, they created what's called a trade exception. And so they can now take on a player for up to $13 million, the difference between the Nicholson and Crab contracts, uh, for nothing, basically, from another team for up to one year if they want to. If they don't use it by the end of the year, what happens? So the vast majority of these trade exceptions expire. And so if the Blazers don't use it in one year, it will expire. And I would actually kind of bet money that they're not going to use it because it looks like they're trying to get close to or under that luxury tax again and if they use the trade exception all of a sudden their luxury tax bill goes way up again uh, teams are allowed to use a portion of the player exception is that correct yeah you don't have to use all of it so you can use whatever amount of it you want, and then the remainder of it just sits there in the bank in, unless, until you use it or don't, and then at the end of the year, it's gone. Yep, and you, can own, you can't combine it with another trade, and so the Blazers can't um, put together like their trade exception in Evan Turner and take back a $30 million player. They have to use the trade exception separately from any other trades. Okay, so it has to be not attached to any other trade. Yep, exactly. Okay. I thought, I thought it was interesting that the Trailblazers were able to get this deal with the Nets because as far as I understand it, a lot of people were courting the Nets because they were one of the teams that had the most room. So do you think it was hard for the Trailblazers? To, I mean, like, how did the Trailblazers get this when there was a lot of teams probably wanting to deal with the Nets? Well, I think the Blazers had a player the Nets wanted. Um, and if you go and read the analysis from the Nets side of things, a lot of Nets fans are very excited about getting Alan Crabb. Remember, they were the ones who offered him this massive contract last season. And so I think there was kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a, essentially a reset button pressed by Neil O'Shea where he decided, you know what, I shouldn't have matched that contract based on the way Alan Crabb played. We're going to go ahead and send him to Brooklyn who still wants him. One of the things that really surprised me about this trade is that Alan Crabb has, I, I look at him as a really West Coast guy. Grew up in Southern California, attended Cal, 
you know, I thought if he was going to get traded, he was going to go somewhere like Sacramento or, you know, somebody on the West Coast. I was really surprised to hear that he was going East. Well, and apparently he really wants to go to Brooklyn, too, because he had a, a trade bonus, which um, a trade bonus is when a player gets traded, they get a percentage of their salary as extra money, basically, um, as compensation for going to a team they didn't choose. And he waived that. He was going to get an extra five and a half, six million dollars over the next two years for being traded. And he said, you know what? I'll pass on that. I'd rather go to Brooklyn. There's been a lot of talk about trade clauses uh, because there's some big stars right now who have trade clauses, Melo being like the obvious one. Is that the same kind of trade clause that we're talking about and LeBron also has? No, we're talking about a trade kicker, which is when a player signs a free agent, signs a contract, it basically says if I get traded, I get a certain percentage, up to 15% of my salary over the next however many years is compensation for being traded. The LeBron and Mello thing is straight up a no-trade clause where they have to agree to be traded anywhere, and those are um, those are pretty rare. Okay, got it. So Alan Crabb, it didn't say that he, you know, could say I don't want to be traded. It just said that if we trade you, you're going to get a bonus. Exactly, and he chose to pass on that bonus um, to make the trade easier for the Nets. Yeah, I want to understand a little bit better about uh, who who is affected by Crab waiving his trade clause. So who normally would pay the bill for a trade clause? A little bit confusing. You almost need like a flowchart and like a PowerPoint presentation. Okay, good. It's not just me then. <laughs> no. The Blazers would be responsible for Alan Crab's trade bonus. And so for each of the next two years, the Blazers would get would pay Alan Crab extra money on top of the um, 19-ish million dollars he's already going to make. I think it was about three three million each year, but that money would count against the Nets' salary cap. The Blazers would pay it, but it would at, be added to the Nets' payroll, basically. Exactly. But the Blazers would would have paid it for them. Yes, and it wouldn't count against the Blazer payroll. So like right now, the Blazers are like right near the luxury tax. If Alan Crabb had kept his trade kicker, that would not have affected the Blazers' um, luxury tax uh, set or luxury tax amount. Do you, when you waive your trade clause, is that a in this case? It sounds like it's a helps both teams, or is it just is it a one sided deal? It helps both teams. You usually do it because you need to waive it to go to to make the trade happen, and because you want to go to that team. Um, I think. I'd have to double check. I think Chris Paul waived his trade clause to go to the Rockets this summer. The reason he did that was because if he didn't do that, then his salary would be too high for the Rockets to take it back in the trade. Because the Rockets, the team that he's going to, would have been the team against whose payroll it would have. Yeah, and so they would have had to match salaries for that, and it wouldn't have worked. You know, the, 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 the salary matching math wouldn't have worked. So Chris Paul said, I want to go to the Rockets really bad. I'm going to go ahead and waive my trade bonus. Or my trade kicker. They're the same thing. Another thing that you talked about earlier was the stretch provision. So, again, AC, uh, for for Nicholson, Nicholson was uh, waved and stretched. Is that how you say it? Is that the vernacular? Absolutely. You nailed it. Absolutely right. Okay. 
So um, how how does uh, how does stretching work? Um, and can I just put in a little plug for people? Everybody should have a friend like Eric who will answer CBA questions at literally any hour of the day. <laughs> people like you are very handy to have around because as soon as things like this come up, I'm always like, Eric, what's happening? So I think I went to you immediately trying to understand how the the stretch provision works. So I just want to put you know put it out there how nice it is to have a friend who's willing and you never complain either. I think it's fun. I love talking about the contracts. I think they're awesome. Um, if anyone is interested in asking me questions, I'm Eric G underscore NBA on Twitter. And then also I have articles up on Blazers Edge all the time. So you can uh, jump into the comments and ask me any salary related question or basketball related questions you might have. Um, anyway, the stretch provision. That's what we were talking how about, does right? That, how does that work? <laughs> yes. So, um, Andrew Nicholson had three years remaining on his contract, and the 2017-2018 NBA season hasn't started yet. And so what the Blazers apparently did was said, we're going to waive him. He also had about 19, about $20 million, actually. I think it was $19.9 million remaining total over, his, over the next three years on his contract. And so the Blazers have to pay him those $20 million over the next three years, usually once they waive him. Instead, the Blazers stretched that. And what that means is they can spread that $20 million out over the next seven years. Does it have to be, like, how do you figure out how many years it gets stretched out over? The number of years is double the remaining years on the contract plus one. And it's always that. It's always that. So if we have any algebra fans in the room, maybe there's a math teacher, it's 2x plus one, where x is the number of years remaining on the contract. So he had three years left on his contract, so you double three, which is six. And then you add one more year, which is seven. Then you take that remaining 19.9 million guaranteed dollars and spread it out over those years. And the Blazers will be paying him 2.84 million dollars until 2024. That's a that is a long ways out. And he is not the only person who the Blazers have stretched. So as I recall, uh, former Blazer great Anderson Verjao is somebody who we stretched, as well as Festus Azili. We stretched we stretched him out. So we have three. Um, uh, front court guys uh, on our all stretched team. We just need to add a couple of uh, back court guys, and we have you know a starting five of the stretched team. So how many? How much does that? What's our bill in just stretched contracts per year? What's the Trailblazers bill now? It is right now um, about five million. If I'm doing the yeah, if I'm doing the math right, about five million dollars. At least for the next couple of years, yep. and then for the next three years. And then Azili falls off, and then Verjao falls off, and then eventually Nicholson falls off. So, you know, obviously it makes it so you don't have to take the hit so hard if you stretch somebody. Um, other advantages why you would want to stretch somebody instead of just, like, biting the bullet and paying it off? There really isn't one. Um, in my opinion, this is a mistake by the Blazers. They're clearly doing this because they're worried about the luxury tax. And the downside to this is that now they've handicapped themselves by $2.84 million out of their salary cap for the next seven years. I guarantee you at some point in the next seven years, they will have salary cap room. And they're essentially saying, we're going to have $2.84 million less in salary than every single other team in the NBA to sign free agents. They're already at a disadvantage signing free agents. And now they're just making it that much worse because they have that much less money than every other team. To argue with that, yeah, we're already at a disadvantage for free agents, so why go all in to try to get free agents that way? What if they were stretching it to make sure that they had room to sign another player? 
Um, I mean, that that probably is what it is. They're stretching in because they're they're stretching all these guys because they're worried about the luxury tax payment and they want to make sure they have room to sign Nurk or they want to they want to minimize the impact that Nurkic and Bonley have in the long term on the team's bottom line. My response to that would be, well, then you need to go back and think about that last summer before you signed all these massive contracts. If you were going to be worried about pinching $2 million in salary per year for the next three years to pay Nicholson that much less, then you shouldn't have signed freaking Evan Turner to begin with. Okay, well, you can't go back in time. They can only go forward. So do you think this made things worse? It, I think it made things worse. I think they should have bit the bullet and accepted they were going to have to pay a certain amount in luxury tax over the next three years because Nicholson's for $19 million, and then preserved that long-term flexibility. Because a worst-case scenario is 20, it's, you know, it's 2021 or whatever, and they want to sign a role player to back up Damian Lillard to put the team over the edge, and they're a couple million dollars short. You know, the Lakers have $14 million to do it, and the Blazers only have $12 million, and the Blazers can't sign that guy now. Let's see. My next question just flew out of my head because you really perked up on that one. <laughs> Trying to make your podcast exciting. Bring in the heat, Eric. I, I have I have a theory, though, and you probably can argue this, would happy to argue this one with me, that I don't think general managers make mistakes so much as they take big gambles that fail. Like, I just have a hard time believing that somebody gets to the position that they're in right now and they just, like, bumble something you know, there's a there's a few franchises who I may think that out of, but I think a lot of times instead of thinking, I I usually I less I look at it less like somebody made a mistake and more like they took a big gamble and then that gamble failed. Yeah, they were clearly gambling on all of these guys to overachieve. You know, Myers Leonard, Evan Turner, Alan Crabb, all of them to overachieve when they signed them last summer. None of them did, and as a consequence, those salaries look real bad right now. Um, there's also a certain amount of job preservation. You know, Neil O'Shea, in reality, probably won't be with the Blazers in seven years. How many GMs last 12 years or whatever? And so to him, worrying about the Blazers' salary cap space in 2022 might be less important than keeping Paul Allen happy by saving $8 million or whatever in luxury tax payments next year. Well, I'm really curious to see what the what the other shoe that's going to drop is on this one because I think it, I think everybody has been waiting for the Blazers to do something. So were you, like, happy just to know that they did something? Or would you have been, you know, thought it would have been smarter to just hold on? I, I think this is kind of a, I, I think, other than the, the salary cap implications I complained about a minute ago, I think this is more or less a net neutral move. It's a good thing because now it's easier for them to sign Nurkic. Um it's a bad thing because, you know, they're losing Alan Crabb's three-point shooting, which is going to be a big hole for this team. I'm not an Alan Crabb fan, but that three-point shooting is disproportionately valuable for the Blazers because they have so few shooters. So I was pleased on the one hand they made a move that makes it more likely that Nurkic can easily be re-signed. I was displeased that they lost the outside shooting. Okay, so be honest. Had you heard about Andrew Nicholson before this trade happened? Yeah, because all the Nets play, all the Nets fans. Uh, he's kind of their version of Myers Leonard. Nobody really liked him or wanted him on the team anymore. Okay, that's your version of Myers Leonard. There are some of us who still believe that Myers Leonard. That is not my version. I said that was the Nets fans' opinion. I think we can. Okay. I think we can acknowledge that there's a large number of Blazers fans who are not Myers Leonard fans at the moment. Okay, that's a whole other podcast. We're not going to go into that. <laughs> that's probably for the best. We're, try- 
we're going to get this right. So the timing of this trade, to get back on track, the timing of this trade, it, uh, it it's not one of those things that happened right after the trade deadline. Why the delay? Were there any reasons for the delay? Um, it's it's impossible to say without being in the in the room with Neil Shea and who you know having a Jim Carrey liar liar situation. I don't think we'll ever know. Um, weren't there restrictions based on when Crab signed the offer sheet? Those last year? those raised those were raised. Um, he they couldn't trade him to the Nets until July 9th. I mean, we're sitting here it's July 24th or 25th or whatever. Um, so I think 26th today. Wow. Um, so I think it's a matter of just, you know, it took this long to negotiate. The other possibility is that the Blazers were pursuing other moves. We heard all these rumors about trying to facilitate the Carmelo Anthony deal. Um, and the longer it goes without us hearing any more rumors about that, the more it looks like maybe the new Knicks management might've put the kibosh on, on that trade for now. And so maybe this was plan B after the car, after a Carmelo trade fell through, Maybe they were trying to trade Evan Turner first, and they couldn't find any takers for Evan Turner, so they switched gears to trading Alan Crabb. Um, it's really impossible to know without uh, Neil Shea, on, uh, yeah, without Neil Shea being totally honest um, in an interview. This came shortly after the Blazers decided to extend the time for their decision about Pat Connaughton. Do you think? Any of those are related because Pat Connaughton, like there was, we, we were, he was supposed to, uh, July twenty fifth was the date at which I can't remember what the technical thing that Blazers could pick up his third year. His contract was non guaranteed for net for the upcoming season. It was set to become fully guaranteed on July twenty fifth. The team renegotiated with him to, I think, August 31st to make that decision. That's important because right now they can cut Pat Connaughton and it won't affect their salary cap for next season. Once his contract becomes guaranteed, then when they cut him, they still have to pay him. It's pretty co strangely coincidental they make that trade and then, then also make that decision on like basically the same day. Um, I don't know if they're related or not, though, because it could just be that the negotiations lined up with that with that mandatory deadline for making the Pat Connaughton decision. It, it looks to me like they're doing what they often do, which is to have two avenues. So they're trying to leave as many avenues open, um, you know, in case something else comes up, they can decide to not pick up Pat Connaughton. Or if nothing comes up, nothing comes to fruition, they can go ahead and move forward with him. Is that, a, would that be a correct is that what you could you could do in that situation? Like, if nothing comes up, they could go ahead and pick up Pat Connaughton and move into the season and be ready to go? Yeah, but I'm then confused why they would stretch Andrew Nicholson and not wait, because they have until August 31st to make that decision, too. Well, I mean, if they're, if they're waiting to figure out if they can get this complicated deal and they want to leave as much room for themselves as possible, if somebody comes over who's worth that exact, you know, what is it, 12.9 or whatever it is, or somebody's a little bit more than that and they need to use the money that um, they have promised to Pat Connaughton, they're leaving themselves as open as possible. Yeah, it's it's not it's not bad to delay those decisions if you can. Um, I'm I'm all for it. <laughs> what avenues does this additional open up for additional moves this off season? Like immediately as soon as Crab was traded, all kinds of you know Twitter was abuzz with possibilities of players who may come to Portland. What are some of the ones that uh, you think are most interesting or intriguing or possible that you've seen? 
Um, I think they need to find a shooter right now. If they're, if so, I'm a little skeptical they're going to use that trade exception to sign to bring in a player, um, for or or that they're going to use their taxpayer mid-level exception because it looks like they're trying as hard as they can to cut tax payments. And so if they add someone else now, it's going to raise the luxury tax again, which would go against the the entire point of this Alan Crab trade apparently. So I'm a little skeptical that they're looking to add anyone really at this point. Some people have been talking about um, adding Ryan Anderson, going back to the rumors from earlier this summer that the Mellow trade um, was going to end up with Ryan Anderson in Portland. Does that become any easier with this move? I don't know if it becomes easier, but all of a sudden it makes a little bit more sense. Um, they are now have less salary obligations, so they could theoretically replace the salary obligation with Ryan Anderson. He's also a great shooter, so they could use a great shooter at this point as well. Um, so the Ryan Anderson, I still don't think it makes the most sense for the team, but all of a sudden it makes more sense than it did a week ago. Because instead of having three like outsized contracts in Turner, Crab, and Anderson, they would only have two in Turner and Anderson. And they need outside shooting more now. Um, they, you know, really, CJ and Dane are the only two who can knock down a three reliably. And so adding Anderson all of a sudden becomes more valuable than it would have been if he um, was joining a team that had Crab and a third shooter. Do you think that this, the move to um, uh, send Crab away signals anything else about the basketball? I mean, I'm just like totally spitballing here. I just had this idea and it probably doesn't make any sense. But like maybe with having, a, you know, the stronger presence of Nurkic, they're realizing that maybe having a you know stronger interior game is the way they want to go. Or do you think it's like too soon for us to even know uh, what they want to do? I think it's more a sign they decided that Alan Crabb was never going to live up to this contract. Um, he was basically signed on a prospective contract. You know, he wasn't worth nearly $20 million a year when they signed him to this deal. And the hope was that he would live up to it. He, I, I think you'll have a hard time finding anyone who thought he did live up to it this year. And so I think it's more a sign that they decided that the chances of him living up to that deal in Portland were pretty low. And so it was time to move on from the Alan Crabb experiment. Um, that being said, I have a feeling he's going to look pretty good in Brooklyn next year. Uh, I think he'll be a little motivated to prove himself, and we might see some of that potential that Portland fans missed out on. I can't even remember who is in Brooklyn anymore. There has been so much trade from all uh, all parts of the NBA, except for basically the Trailblazers. I don't even know who's on these teams anymore. Do you? Can you remember? Because Brook Lopez is not there anymore, correct? He's been... Yep, they got D'Angelo Russell and Jeremy Lin are the uh, the two guys that are going to stand out to most people on the Brooklyn Nets. Okay, who do they have in the middle as a center? Um, oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. I know they have Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. They were playing Trevor Booker a bit. Almost Portland uh, great. Almost Rondé Portland great. Jefferson. Exactly. <laughs> They got uh, they got Timothy Mozgov in um, oh, for taking they got Timothy. yeah okay for taking on um what's wow they took on two <laughs> burdensome contracts this summer huh well they were everybody's best friend because they had the most they had the most space that's what I'm saying it's like everybody was courting the Nets because anybody who was over the cap who was looking to unload wanted to uh, court the Nets and I think. You're right. You know, we knew the the Trailblazers knew that they were already interested in uh, Crab, 
So we had a the Trailblazers had a little bit of an advantage there because they already knew that uh, the Nets were interested. But as far as I can understand from some of the reading I've done, you know, the Nets were you know very popular this summer <laughs> because they had so much room uh, to take on contracts. Definitely. Let's see. Is there anything else we want to talk about this trade, or should we just go back to waiting and finding out what is going to happen next? Um, well, what do you think of it? We never heard from uh, the host on this trade. Well, uh, like I said, I was just uh, excited that something is going to happen. I really do think that there is going there's likely to be another move and I believe it's going to be something that nobody saw coming because that's just how things usually go. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I think that they did need to um, find something to do with one of their really large contracts. And my guess would be if they bring in somebody, it'll be somebody with not much time left. Um, so it'll just be like a one year rental of somebody to hopefully try to help the team gel. I would love it if they wanted to bring in some kind of a veteran who could impart a little of that crusty old guy wisdom um, that we just are lacking on this team simply by the fact that we don't have anybody who's played more than like five years in the league, basically. I think that's a really good point. Um, last year, especially early in this, I remember they were 13 and 21 or whatever and lost 11 out of 13 games and things looked really dismal for about half of last season. And a lot of times it looked like they were just not motivated and lost on the court, to be honest. And I was, I was wondering a lot if they were missing veteran leadership. So I'm with you on, maybe getting that vet who, you know, has been there before and maybe has a Chris Kamen or Gerald Henderson type of influence on these young guys. I don't know what to call it because I don't think it's exactly veteran leadership because I think Damien has that all sewed up. I think he's got the leadership part of it figured out, but the veteran experience is really, I mean, I'm like a broken record on this. I want somebody sitting next to Vo Noah Vonley on the bench saying, do you see what he just did to you there? He's been doing that to me for 10 years. Here's how you get him back. I want somebody who's like in the ear of our, of our younger guys telling them exactly what these other KG old guys are doing to them and how to react to it and how to get the best of them. So I would like to see, I, I think this opens up the possibility that we could get somebody in to be there for a year to, you know, teach them all those old tricks um, and then be able to, uh, you know, start, not start again, but able to have room next year. Like, okay, thank you for your service. That was awesome. It was super helpful. Now we need that money to re-sign Nurkic and Vonley. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a, this is a deciding year for, this is the decision year for Vonley. So I'm um, finding someone who could help him develop or help the team make a decision on him is uh, is going to be crucial. Yeah, but I'm just excited when something happens. I mean, last year I was really um, wowed by the continuity factor that the that the Blazers had going in. Like we had a roster that had like the I don't know if it was the most, but it was one of the highest in continuity um, amongst all the rosters. And I was like, sweet, our guys have been playing together. They know each other really well. Everybody else is just trying to figure things out. And I think I was lulled in by that. I think I was um, I think I was wrong that continuity isn't always the best thing. Sometimes when you uh, introduce a lot of new elements, it makes everybody pay that much closer attention. <laughs> uh, it makes people um, fight harder. I think a lot of the teams this year that have had a lot of turnover are, are going to outperform their expectations just like we did when we had that massive uh, turn or like the Trailblazers did when they had that massive turnover. So I'm... I'm excited that there's been so much going on this offseason that it's like 
going on and on and on. I'm just dreading when all the deals are done and there's just nothing. <laughs> I'm excited for the games to start. October 17th is circled on my calendar. I can't wait I'm to so see. I'm so excited about the early start. <laughs> yes. Um, I'm excited there will be fewer back-to-backs. Um, I really don't like the back-to-back games. I don't know though. I don't. I don't like games when, or I don't like it when there's like two nights in between games. But I know the, that's better for the players, so I'll get over it. It's it. it gives, you can watch more teams that way. Look at it that way, because then there's fewer games on, so you can catch you know catch different teams you wouldn't normally watch more often. You want to tell? Let's see. You already, you already told everybody where to find you, right? Why don't you tell them one more time? Yep, Eric G underscore NBA on Twitter. Um, I write under the name Eric Griffith on Blazers Edge. I think I'm in the front page slot one right now. If you're interested in reading more details on the crab trade, um, otherwise I write a weekly article for Blazers Edge. Awesome. Thanks, Eric. Thank you so much for joining me tonight, and we will uh, see what happens next. Yay.